Blended Learning in Action podcast. My name is Charity Dodd, and this podcast is sponsored by McGraw-Hill Education. My colleague Alex Belaser and I are reading the book Grading for Equity by Joe Feldman. After looking at the history of grading practices, one thing that really caught my attention in this book was that if we want to create student-centered classrooms, we have to let go of those traditional grading practices because they were designed to create workers for factory-based learning, and we're still bringing them into our classrooms today. One of the reasons inequitable grading practices are so glaring in education right now is due to the shifts we've made throughout the pandemic. I host a weekly Twitter chat called BL in Action, and in one of the chats, I ask teachers what their students have gained through the pandemic. A few ideas shared were that students have learned to take more ownership of their learning, become more confident, and be better self-advocates. We don't want to lose those skills. We want to build upon those skills. And I think talking about traditional grading practices is a must if we want to continue to build on what we've gained throughout the pandemic. I decided to host a series of chats to find out how educators were thinking about equitable grading practices. And at our most recent LinkStream conference for educators, Alex and I delivered a session called Shifting to a More Equitable Approach to Grading. We wanted to highlight the history of our grading practices, share why and how traditional grading practices are limiting the shifts we are trying to make in our classrooms, and highlight ideas to use blended learning models to begin creating more equitable grading practices. Alex is a history teacher, so he got really excited about talking about the history of traditional grading practices. I just wanted to get to the how to make the grading practices more equitable. But you really do need to know the history of our grading practices and to understand that our most traditional practices were designed to create workers for industrial factory-based work. Factories needed employees and they needed schools to train them for their factory work. They wanted schools to teach students to behave in certain ways. And unfortunately, those traditional grading practices still exist in our classrooms today, all while we are trying to help students to take ownership of their learning, care about the actual learning, be more engaged, and take risks. And let's face it, they can't take risks if all they're worried about is losing points. How many of us get annoyed when we present a project or an assignment to our students and the first thing they ask is, how much is this worth? And then, How many of us get really annoyed by comments like, how many points do I need to get an A? And can I do extra credit, especially before the end of the semester? This might be because we are awarding points to everything we assign. Students become so concerned about gaining and losing points that they'll do just about anything to get the points, including cheating, right? Many grade books look the same, and I can say mine looked very similar to this. Categories typically include homework, participation, classwork, behavior, group projects, quizzes and tests, midterms, and final exams. So that's about seven or eight categories. That's pretty overwhelming to the student and the teacher. 
No wonder our students are so concerned about earning points. That is a lot to process. Let's talk about some of those grading categories and why they might be inequitable. We assign homework, which is supposed to be practice, and we grade that homework. What results is that students are being judged on everything they do for class, even their practice. We grade on behavior, effort, and participation. Think for a minute. How are those categories equitable? How do they prevent risk-taking or student ownership? I wanted to find out what this amazing PLN of mine said about some of these questions I just asked. So I asked them, how do traditional and inequitable grading practices prevent risk-taking and create a lack of trust from our students? One teacher said that grading should inform student learning, not punish them for their mistakes along their learning process. When we punish students by grading their learning along the process, students learn to not take risks and they don't go that extra mile. And then this eventually translates into a poor connection between teachers and students. Another educator said, in traditional grading scales, the students want to know exactly what you want them to write down in order for them to get the highest grade possible. Instead of breaking out and trying new things, they stick to the trusted and tested way that it's always been done to ensure that they get the highest grade possible. How many of you can relate to this? So then I asked, how are our traditional grading practices ineffective when trying to create student-centered classrooms? We don't get to truly see where the gaps are in students' learning. Students are good at dotting the I's and crossing the T's, that sometimes we live under the assumption that students are doing well, but really, they just know how to play school. Another educator said, I think one of the biggest issues with traditional grading is that failures are seen as a negative as opposed to a learning opportunity. We are all so focused on the bad part of failure that we forget to focus on reteaching and student growth. In his book, Grading for Equity, Feldman shares how traditional grading practices invite biases, particularly when teachers are white and their students are black and brown. So then I asked the teachers, which grading categories do you see where implicit bias impacts students' grades? And many teachers said that, you know, grade deductions for late work, participation grades, new learning assigned as homework for a grade, behavior. So some of the same things that Feldman shared in his book. What makes these categories inequitable? I love the answers that these educators shared, and here are just a few. These categories are influenced too much by bias, opinion, and in-the-moment feelings, all of which create goalpost moving. Another educator, anytime we are deducting points solely on subjectivity and or a student's home life, we are losing focus of our main objective, determining if students have mastered standards. Another teacher said, when you grade for time, effort, or availability, you're grading for whoever has the most time to focus on school outside of school hours, which has nothing to do with learning. Whether we like it or not, or if we want to admit it or not, we all have biases. 
So if we are grading on behavior or effort or participation, how does that look for the student who is quiet or shy? What about the students who don't have support at home when they get stuck on an assignment? Or the student who is homeless, who works, or who takes care of their siblings while their parents are working? If students are being penalized for mistakes they make on homework or in-class work, They're going to eventually get discouraged and this may lead to cheating or not turning in work, becoming disengaged, even not showing up to school. So I think we can see from some of these answers, some thinking about our own practices, how students can become disengaged, how it's easy for them to not take risks and to not have a feeling of trust within our classroom if they're constantly being judged on the work that they submit. Another question I asked during this chat was, what are steps we can take immediately within our influence to create more equitable grading practices that invite risk-taking and trust for learning to take place? Some of the responses were that we can design more opportunities to receive and get feedback without the pressure of grades. Create structures for students to resubmit work without penalty. Co-create options for demonstrating mastery. Give students choice in their assessment. For example, ask them to choose three of five questions to respond to. Another educator shared the idea of breaking major assessments into checkpoints. Have discussions with students at each point and then ask them to explain their work. So I know some of you are thinking we have to teach our students life skills and soft skills. And that's correct, but we can offer alternative ways to do that. I want to share some responses from teachers when I asked how might we offer alternative practices to protect our grades from implicit and explicit biases that are embedded in our traditional grading practices. And one teacher said that if we conference with students, we can have constructive dialogue about learning outcomes. Learning should not end with a letter or number. Some also shared the idea of creating rubrics and create them with students. I love the single point rubric and I can share a single point rubric within the show notes. The single point rubric is so clear to the teacher and the student what the expectations are. Another teacher shared that she gives students a week from the date of return of an assignment to retake any assignment they aren't happy with. So she's adding in retakes and redos, but notice she's only giving them a week, which is fine. She is doing this to create boundaries for herself, which is perfect. Some other responses included having students create student portfolios. Another teacher said that she uses reflection statements from students that explain how they grew in their learning and what they can show or do or say as evidence. In our link stream session, Alex talked about getting rid of the zero. Push students to demonstrate their learning. Don't give them that easy out of just not turning something in. Let them know that it is more important to you that you understand what they know than it is for you to give them a zero. Give students opportunities for retakes and redos. This is funny, I asked the educators in the chat, how many redos do you get a day? They reported they get many redos a day. For example, one teacher said, I teach five periods of the same class each day, so really I get about four redos. 
I know what you're thinking. When do I find the time to do this? You've presented a lot of ideas here and it seems overwhelming. Choose one idea to implement in your classroom. Choose one that speaks to you that you could try without being overwhelmed. During our session, Alex and I shared ways to optimize your time with blended learning instructional strategies. Blended learning instructional practices create opportunities for teachers to have more time to meet with students, to conference, to grade in the moment, to give feedback, and to have conversations about the learning that is taking place. One example is the flipped learning classroom. A flipped learning classroom creates opportunities for students to have the teacher available in the classroom while actually doing the practicing of the skills that you have taught. Students can watch a lecture at home and take notes, for example. There are ways to make this happen if the students do not have access to internet. If you are using a video for students to watch, put it on a flash drive for students or download it to the computer before the student leaves school. If those don't work, do an in-class flip for students who were not able to watch a video at home. An in-class flip is when students use some of their class time to watch the lecture. Now students can be in the classroom practicing those skills and you are available because you did your lecture through video and shared it with the students ahead of time. Now you are free to meet in small groups or one-to-one with students to give feedback. Another blended learning model is the station rotation. In a station rotation model, there are typically the following stations, a teacher station, an independent station, a digital station, and a collaboration station. So let's talk about what that looks like for you to create equitable grading practices within your classroom. The teacher station. This is where new content is taught or reteaching of skills takes place. This can also be used to give individual feedback, grading with your students, so you're not taking that grading at home, and they can ask questions about the feedback that you are providing. The independent station. This can be where students, after possible reteaching takes place, can focus on retakes or redos. So at this station, they have that opportunity to redo or retake an assignment using the feedback that you provided, and you're in the classroom to provide support if needed. At the digital station, students can be using adaptive software, such as Alex, for practicing skills or completing online work. The collaboration station, this is where students can review content together or start new projects or practice skills with one another. One last model that I want to share is one of my favorites, a playlist. A playlist model is a roadmap for student learning that usually takes place within a lesson or a unit. It is a tool that can foster independence, allow for student choice, and differentiate based on students' needs. This model allows educators to help students accelerate where they are already advanced and to work on learning gaps. How does a playlist support in creating more equitable grading practices? For example, the playlist promotes independence by giving students more autonomy of when they complete assignments. Remember, our students have gained knowledge to better understand when and what areas they need more support. So with a playlist, they might choose to work on something in class that they know they will struggle with. This independence also allows the teacher to be free to give immediate feedback, 
to conference with students and reteach skills if needed. I will provide a link in the show notes for a blog post on using playlists in the classroom, as well as an example of a playlist. That was a lot of information I provided, but again, I want you to just take one thing to start with and see how that goes in your classroom. So to summarize what we discussed, we need to look at the history of our grading practices to understand why they were created and to understand that they do not work in preparing our students for today's world and economy. We discussed how traditional grading practices more than likely disengage our students, how they can cause students to cheat and to care only about points and not about their actual learning. We talked about how those traditional grading practices invite biases. Finally, we discussed how to make some immediate shifts and how blended learning instructional strategies can support teachers in optimizing their time to begin to shift towards more equitable grading practices. In this episode, I spoke about our LinkStream conference. We had that conference in April. It is our semi-annual conference for educators focused on student-centered learning, free of cost and open to educators globally. If you missed it, we have on our website all the sessions recorded that you can have access to at no cost. I will put a link in our show notes so you can access those sessions. 